If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20, and that's where we're going to be looking today. We've been in a sermon series called In His Steps, where we've been chronologically tracing the life of Jesus Christ, taking all four Gospels, putting them in chronological order as best as we possibly can, and looking at the life of Christ. And so what we find now is we're on uh, Christ's final appearance, his final journey towards Jerusalem for the last week of his life. But we're not there just yet. We have a couple more messages um, in this series, and then we will begin a series called The Final Steps. And these are his steps into Jerusalem for the last week of his uh, life, Passion Week as it's called. So we've been studying the life of Christ. Today's message is called Unholy Ambition. Unholy Ambition. You see, ambition isn't a bad thing. But selfish and unholy ambition can absolutely destroy your life. Take a man named Jordan, for example. Jordan had a bachelor's degree in biology, and he wanted to be a dentist. And when he went to dental school, the dean of the school told him that dentists wouldn't be making much money anymore. He was very uninformed. But... Jordan loved money, so he left dental school to pursue other things. At the age of 20, 20 years old, Jordan started a successful meat-selling business. But for whatever reason, he ended up having to file bankruptcy by the age of 25. He got a job as a trainee stockbroker, and he enjoyed it. But he was laid off the same year due to the Black Monday stock market crash of 1987. Not giving up on his newfound love, he started a stockbroker company focusing on penny stocks. He taught employees ways to pump and dump stock, and he ended up defrauding investors of millions of dollars. He enjoyed lavish parties, drugs, money, and he bought everything that his heart desired. In 1996, everything he had worked for came crashing down when the National Association of Securities Dealers expelled Jordan's company, putting it out of business. Three years later, Jordan was indicted for securities fraud and money laundering. He spent 22 months in jail of a four-year sentence. He got out early as part of a plea deal with the FBI and was ordered to pay back $110 million that he had swindled from stockbrokers. Jordan wrote a book about his ambitious career, which later became a movie by the same title, The Wolf of Wall Street. Selfish ambition and greed will absolutely destroy you. Today we look at Matthew chapter 20 to see some people who were incredibly close to Jesus to exhibit, uh, exhibiting unholy ambition. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, came up to Jesus with her sons, James and John, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Now the mother of James and John, the wife of Zebedee, was a woman named Salome. And what's interesting about Salome is that many commentators have pieced together these New Testament verses to believe that Salome is actually Mary's sister. 
So that would make, G, uh, that would make Salome Jesus' aunt. And it would make James and John Jesus' first cousins. And there is tremendous respect in this culture for relatives and especially those that are your elders. Salome approached Jesus and she knelt before him. This was a sign of worship and reverence. In this culture, you would often kneel down and you would touch your head to the ground out of respect for that person. But in Judaism, no one is worshipped but God alone. So she clearly and publicly asserted her belief that Jesus was God. She's seen enough to know that he is. Now Mark's version of this story says that James and John said to Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What a terrible way to start a prayer. Telling God incarnate that you want him to do exactly as you say. Now contrast this command from James and John, do for us whatever we ask, against the desperate question from the rich young ruler we covered last week, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The rich young ruler just wanted to be sure he was on the right path. James and John felt secure in their position with Jesus. Now it was time to get him to do something for them. The encounter almost sounds like they had transitioned from following Jesus to getting something from Jesus. What's amazing in this story is the humility with which Jesus responded to this. He didn't say to them, maybe you should start over. Don't you know who you're talking to? I'm God in the flesh. No, he replied very simply and with utmost humility. Verse 21. And Jesus said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus responded to her question by asking her, what do you wish? What is your desire? And having a family connection to the Messiah, she wasn't going to miss the chance to ask for something truly bold. So she said, say that these two sons of mine... Or command, declare in your kingdom that my two sons will be seated next to you. Now, it's easy to be surprised by the audacity of this woman's request. But we need to remember what Jesus had just told his disciples in Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world... When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So if the disciples get to sit by Jesus, and clearly there's going to be somebody sitting on His right and on His left, wouldn't family get to come first? So we see that there are definitely rewards in heaven based on many other scriptures, but Salome, James, and John failed to understand how those rewards are distributed. Parents naturally want to see their children promoted and honored, but this desire is dangerous if it causes them to lose sight of God's specific will for their children. 
God may have different work in mind. Not as glamorous, but just as important. Discovering and pursuing God's will is the most important pursuit of your life. Have you ever been offered a job? And you felt in your spirit that you shouldn't accept it, but you did anyway. Then you started working there, and you were absolutely miserable. The longer you worked there, the more miserable you were. Sometimes that happens in relationships also. God is trying to keep you from deliberately stepping out of His will. Matthew 20, verse 22, Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus, in his response to these disciples, says you don't really perceive, you don't really understand what it costs for that kind of a desire. Is the power and the ability inherent in you to suffer the way that I will? And just previous, right before this passage we're looking at today, Jesus had prophesied His suffering and His death, the cup that He would drink. He's prophesied for the third time to the disciples. He said in Matthew 20, verses 18 through 19, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus had just told them what was going to happen to him. James and John decided to get their names in the hat for promotion while they could. And Jesus told them, you don't even understand what you're asking for. That kind of glory is given to those who suffer much. Are you able to suffer and die for this? And with naive audacity, they replied, we are able. We have the power. We might think, you know, Jesus, I'll suffer for you. And we might have a grand thought of of being a martyr for Christ in some foreign country. But then we get mildly inconvenienced and we lose our minds over it. Or we start to serve someone and they don't immediately and vocally appreciate our service. So we decide we're not going to help out in that ministry. We're not going to help out of that church anymore. And if that's the attitude we have, then we weren't really serving in the first place. Don't forget who brought sin into our realm. Satan was the first being who wanted a throne of his own. When we seek recognition, when we seek authority, when we seek prestige, we are willfully magnifying ourselves over magnifying Christ. You know, we used to sing the song, and because and, it's straight out, of the, straight out of the Psalms, Oh, magnify the Lord. To magnify something means to make it larger. In His kingdom, He is the largest. It is His will that will be done. And we need to understand that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The smallest and most insignificant servants are actually the most important in His kingdom. 
Those who always think of themselves last will be rewarded first. Verse 23, Matthew chapter 20, he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So he reminds them, he says, you're going to drink the cup. And the cup, of course, is referring to suffering and death. When we read Scripture, we discover that James was actually the second martyr of the Christian faith. Stephen was the first. James was the second martyr, but he was the first apostle to be martyred. In Acts chapter 2, Herod ramped up persecution against the Jews, I'm sorry, against the Christians, and had James killed with the sword. Christian legend is that John was eventually arrested, he was tortured, he was boiled in oil, and he didn't die. He was eventually exiled to the island of Patmos, which is between Turkey, where he eventually wrote, he had the vision and wrote the book of the Revelation. These two men suffered for Christ, as Jesus had prophesied. But Jesus did say that the Father is the one who determines the rewards. Verse 24. And when the ten, the ten other disciples heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. And they might have been upset because they didn't think of it first. They might have been upset because James and John were using their family ties to get a leg up on kingdom rewards. Regardless of why they were upset, Scripture says they were furious at them. They were greatly afflicted with anger towards their request. Selfishness will only result in dissension and division. When we want things our way, we are setting ourselves on a throne and saying that others must serve us and do as we wish. That's dangerous ground for any Christian and is completely contradictory to what Christ expects from us. The pastor and commentator Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He said, It is sad to note in the church today that we have many celebrities but few servants. There are many who want to exercise authority but few who want to take the towel and basin and wash feet. The key to greatness is not found in position or power, but in character. Verses 25 through 28 of Matthew chapter 20 says this, but Jesus called them to him, seeing that they were angry. He called the disciples to him and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was quick to deal with this request as well as the anger from the other disciples. He wanted them to understand that the kingdom didn't work like other kingdoms do. It's not about power, position, and authority that we have over others. It's who can be the greatest servant. Really meditate on Jesus' statement there. 
It shall not be so among you. Jesus is calling his followers to live countercultural, to think countercultural, to be countercultural. The things that the world prizes are not the things that we should prize. The things that the world rewards, like selfish ambition, cheating your way to the top, and stepping on anyone and everyone in your path to success, are not the things that Jesus Christ rewards. The way of the world shall not be so among you. In this scripture, Jesus used two distinct words to refer to our position in the kingdom. He used the words servant and slave. Now, a servant was a hired worker that managed the master's household. They were paid for the work that they did. The slave was not paid and was forced into service. They got nothing out of their service to their master. Servants were often lower class people, but they weren't considered property. Slaves were considered property. These were two of the lowest positions in Jewish society, and yet Jesus reverses their status in the community of disciples to indicate prominence and greatness. And Jesus said that our attitude must be that of servants and slaves. We may be rewarded for our service, but we might not be. We should serve others when we cannot benefit from it. What glory is there in helping someone when you know they'll be able to put in a good word for you or they'll recommend you for promotion or they'll reimburse you? If that happens, you've received your reward. The greater option here is to come into the kingdom as a slave, serving others and getting no personal benefit from it. When you serve as a slave, you do so as service to the Lord, not yourself. Jesus said that if you want to be great in His kingdom, it's not about advancing your own name or your own fame. It's about serving others as a slave and getting nothing in return. Authority is not given for self-importance, ambition, or respect, but for useful service to God. God gives us authority to serve Him and to serve His creation. It's not about using people for our own benefit, but for serving them. Some people might think, oh, he's the senior pastor. He's so important. No, not at all. What I'm saying to you right now would not even get to your ears without the selfless servants of this church. Those who operate the cameras, the sound, the lighting, the media, hours and hours who research the best ways for us to get our messages out on their website and the different streaming platforms, those who serve on our worship team and receive no compensation for it, those people who ensure our church is clean and sanitized so we can even be in here. In the kingdom, my title and my position can actually work against me if I'm not also engaged in selfless service. Craving positions of power is worldly, and it's the exact opposite of the self-sacrificing model of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples several times that he had to die 
But here, directly before, or in this passage, is where he says, why? He said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word translated ransom means to, to the price paid for a slave who is then set free by the one who bought him. He told them up front that his death would set them free. It would pay the price for the forgiveness of their sins. It would be the once and for all sacrifice that God would accept for mankind's salvation. Only God could make a claim like this about Himself, thus giving us another proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. He isn't God-like. He is God. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. If we fast forward just a little bit in the story, Jesus was arrested. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was crucified. And at the foot of the cross were several people, among whom were Jesus' mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, the disciple John, and one other person, Salome. Looking up at Jesus on the cross as His kingdom was being established through a new covenant in His blood. At the moment of His greatest glory, Salome didn't see two thrones on either side of Jesus, but rather two thieves on two crosses. One on His right and one on His left. You know, God's plan often looks very different from what we think it should look like. It often looks so different from our plans, our dreams, our goals. At times we can even think to ourselves, I never thought I would end up here. I never thought I would see this play out this way. I never could have opened that door. I never could have gotten that promotion. I never could have imagined where I would, that, that I would be where I am today. That's because when we put ourselves in God's hands and we surrender to His will, it looks so much different than ours, but it's so much better. He can take our lives and make something so much better with them than we ever could. It's so easy for us to look at this request from the disciples and think they were so foolish. How can these disciples spend all this time with Jesus and still miss it? The better question is, since we are disciples of Jesus Christ and filled with the Spirit, what are we missing? What attitudes and worldly ambitions are we exhibiting that we desperately need to get rid of? Are we building our lives on selfish and unholy ambition? Or are we committed to a life of selfless service? If there's anything we can and should build our lives on, it is Jesus Christ. His kingdom come. His will be done. He must increase and we must decrease. His name must be exalted and magnified. 
He is the preeminent one. He is the firstborn of many brethren, the first fruits of our resurrection. The world began by the words of his mouth, and creation finds its fulfillment in him. Instead of building your life on yourself, on your ambition, on your accomplishments, on your intellect, on your abilities, we must build our lives on Jesus Christ, the solid rock. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song this morning. We encourage you just to let these words sink into your spirit. Worship with them if you know this song. And concentrate on building your life on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ.